Hi there. Welcome to episode 35. This is a good one, I think, because I bring in Ava again and she brings it home as per usual. We are kind of talking about uh, a book that I'm reading uh, for upcoming surgery. And I really wanted, as I was reading the book, I really wanted to talk about the applications of how it just fits into like just general problem solving and overcoming circumstances and dealing with difficult things. So even though this is uh, was specifically written in preparation for surgery, I mean, man, who can't benefit from setting your positive mindset and being able to conquer something that you really don't want to follow through with. So I hope this benefits you. And if it does, shoot me a message, shoot me an email, let me know um, if we're going in the right direction with this podcast. And I'd love to hear back from you. So subscribe, give us a review. Thank you so much. Hey, so we're back again together. I roped Eva into talking about this book with me called Prepare for Surgery, Heal Faster, A Guide to Mind-Body Techniques by Peggy Heddleston. And she kind of breaks down these five mind-body techniques that help you tackle I guess what the mental aspects of prepping for surgery and the fear kind of how to combat the fear of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's not necessarily roped. I think it, it maybe wasn't something <laughs> that, that I would uh, move towards in terms of like uh, being kind of relevant in my life, but it, it certainly felt kind of retroactively therapeutic for me because when we were speaking before about this, um, the concept of doing this. Um, uh, I, and when I was listening to um, the, the individual speak about it, I was referring back to like my own surgery. So I was like, oh, well, that would have helped. But <laughs> <laughs> but also there was like some comfort in kind of thinking of you, of you going forward because you're, you're, you're about to kind of embark on this journey too. Yeah. And to have found this resource um, is really is, it seems like it's going to be really helpful for you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've really found a lot of value in it, probably because there's still, I think when something you're faced with something so daunting, there is still an element of like, oh, I got to deny the components of this just to survive mentally for, or at least for me, like, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I got this thing later this week. (laughs) You know, I gotta go take care of that. I liked how she kind of framed that and put it in those five steps. And the first two are kind of obvious that we, and then we were trying to think like, how can we generalize this? Cause as I, as I was walking, working through the steps, I was thinking like, wow, on like some of these components, if I really generalize them, like these are the steps that I get somebody to conquer their fear over a difficult circumstance or even tackling their their fear of that emotion that they that they've carried for so long with them anger or depression or anxiety it kind of takes on a life of its own and almost is like you enter an abusive relationship with this emotion that you feel like you can't survive you know that emotion starts to speak to you and say like well you really can't do that without me like you're not going to be able to go to that public thing without taking your anxiety. I have to go with you, you, you know? And so. Yeah. It becomes its own kind of psychological monster. And yeah. she kind of references that in the conversation too, that, that I had listened to um, 
I kind of cheated. I didn't read the book. I, I listened to an NPR interview that you that you recommended. So by far not an expert on this at all. But she had mentioned that she was grateful or might have been the interviewer I had mentioned that she was is probably a good thing that she wasn't trained at, uh, in terms of having a focus on pathology in the medical model because she's she's a, 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 psych, a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so her her preparation looks a lot like the, the preparation that, that we use our own uh, with our own theories. Yeah, she simplified it into the five steps. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll kind of review the five steps and maybe we could break them down together like so I'll overview them I'll list them all and then we'll we'll talk about each one uh, just to kind of give a a comprehensive thing so the first one relax and feel peaceful second one visualize your healing third one organize a support group fourth use healing statements and five meet with your anesthesiologist so that's the one that kind of breaks off into like we're specifically yeah. talking about surgery yeah, so that's a definite action stuff there <laughs> yeah yeah so the first two uh, man like relax and feel peaceful and then visualizing your healing we see that practicing you know kind of with anything yeah um i liked uh, because basically it's like how do you manage your fear um you know so relax and feel peaceful it's like okay I got to get out of this anxious place or this or this place that I'm in because it's it's enveloping me I I think of that as like mindfulness being instead of being in it being with it I could be beside that I could be the observer or yeah I'm observing but I'm not avoiding I'm neither avoiding nor um entangling and ruminating I'm, I'm simply witnessing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I liked those those two steps were kind of obvious like oh yeah we see those with everything mm-hmm. um the visualizing your healing is that the one where she talked about the double blind study or was that more organizing your support group Oh, it was organizing your support group on that double blind study, but even visualizing your healing, she talks about the mindset of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you you know, if you, you know, or confirmation biased, if I'm, if I'm looking for the negative, I'm going to find it, you know, you know, if I have a negative mindset, I'm going to find it. She kind of walks you through, I guess, the alignment of the outcome of things. Beliefs are powerful. So how we visualize it. You said something earlier when we were talking about this. What was the one reference that she gave uh, about the woman? Like she she kind of guided her into visualize. Visualizing you know. um, the ideal outcome of, of um, her, how she imagined. I, I don't know if it's a specific, but how she imagined the end of the surgery um, and the best outcome. And she specifically imagine walking out with her with her grandchildren and feeling surrounded by like their support and um there was another example when she was referencing a heart transplant recipient and um he was so he became so anxious um and 
I get anxious, anxious, yeah, anxiety filled about the process of, of getting the heart and having a, a delimited amount of time um, mm-hmm. to get the heart. And um, he ceased to view the heart as a healing. Um, to, he ceased to view the, the outcome of the heart, um, the heart surgery as healing. Yeah, because he was so mired in, and and also because there there there's the reality of someone having to 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 die, in order to have him receive his. So there's so many compound emotions around it that he had not really taken that moment to isolate that the heart was healing and that was the outcome. The that was that was the point of the surgery because there were so many other um, dueling feelings about it. Yeah, yeah, that that I think of those as like uh Mel Robbins talks about like anchor thoughts. So almost like in dealing with um an anxious situation that you really are dreading. Like she talks about the fear of fa- flying in uh some lecture or conference or something that she gave and I went and saw her in Utah and she talked about like uh that she hated flying but she doesn't focus on that because it's just something she has to experience to get to the next place that she needs to be. And so she focuses on the anchor thought of when I get through with this, when I get off the plane, I'm going to see my son greet me and how excited he is to see me that he always does like this little dance. Then she showed a video of like, he greets her by, you know, dancing in front of her and stuff. And I, it was the cutest thing. And I thought, yeah, that, you know, so I related those, um, visualize your healing as being those anchor thoughts of, I'm going to have to do this. So what's something that I can visualize that is like my ideal scenario or outcome when I get through with it. And so I know I've applied that to so many other situations for people, you know, who public speaking or whatever it happens to to even dealing with anxiety through the day like visualize like um yourself not feeling that or well, how does how does that come you know like it to me it was just practicing your mind shifting your mindset into out of the negative and focusing on the the hard stuff that you that generally comes with dealing with an emotional issue or a, or a difficult situation to, okay, why am I doing this? What's the benefit? How does it benefit me? How does it help me? So that, you know, that was very relatable to me in just general practice of just helping somebody through anything, you know, so that was, that was useful. Like, and then the organizing the support group. So the next three were kind of like, stretching the generalizations because she talks about organizing a support group and immediately my mind went to like joining a support group like a discussion group like alcoholic conception of what support group might be. yeah yeah and she simplified it in a in a very practical way that we do automatically when we share an experience you know and you gave some really good points on like how to how to be differentiate yes um, being selective yes yeah so that was a very good point because um you know not everybody is going to have a supportive attitude you know they're they're gonna 
feed the fear rather than the positives uh, sometimes or commiserate <laughs> with you in that, you know, like sometimes, sometimes I think support uh, comes with that undifferentiated ego mass of like, um, if the family's angry, we're all angry, you, you know, like, or if yeah. some, somebody's experiencing something, like if the kid hates the teacher, we're all going to hate the teacher, you know, and some people see that I'm going to match your anger with my anger because that's, that's my version of support for you. And that, that sounds it, a lot messy. like enmeshment too. Um, yeah, is, very much. Is, is, is we talked about is who, who is in, what are the identifying features of people in my support group? Mm-hmm. And, um, a, a, you know, a good component of, of, of that would be someone who has very good boundaries, someone who is able to sit with you during a difficult time and not make it about them or, or um, be able to compartmentalize or at least, at least, uh, not try to shut the conversation down or minimize it for their for their own peace of mind um sometimes the only thing you can say with someone is yeah that sucks but i'm here for you Um, Mm -hmm. or i've you know i've been there it's it's not Mm -hmm. easy i'm not going to tell you that it's going to get easier but um we're going to get through it yeah yeah very that's a very good point because sometimes it's just to me showing up the presence of someone who could hold the space for you i mean mm. shit that's counseling <laughs> you know can yeah. you show up i have an hour devoted that is i'm holding space for you in whatever we're gonna go through and i'm gonna and i'm not and i'm not gonna jump on board you know with your emotional space and like yeah we really yes let's show them or, yeah. you know it's <laughs> It's more of like that right there. If you had a counselor that said something like that, it would be like, wait, this isn't right. But, but we hold that for the friends of like, oh yeah, they're super supportive. But, you know, so yeah, I think differentiating and being selective, what's the word that you used? Deciphering. And dang it, it was a D word. But made distinction. Distinction. Yeah. Yes. So that, that was a nice, that's the one where she talked about the, the double blind study Mm -hmm. that just, and she talks about it in a very foofy fashion. And in my language, she talks Mm -hmm. about like imagining. So someone that, you know, is going through something difficult, imagining like a little love blanket Pink, yeah the pink blanket of love a was... pink blanket yes even the color pink yeah. like the pink blanket of love that just covers mm-hmm. you which is super sweet to I mean it definitely gives you a visual of like oh yeah mm-hmm. like you dropping yeah so yeah like yes and so that double blind study was super interesting because um some of the statistics for that so first off a double blind study is when the re- not, neither the researcher or the participants participants know what is being researched yeah. yes yeah so There's... so and the uh control group was like 393 participants and then they were mm-hmm. split into those that were going to receive prayer and those that weren't and so when prayer when we're talking about prayer we're talking about loving thoughts ascending love you know prayer in a in a for a religious aspect or even just positive energy you're just sending out like a denominational yeah yeah (laughs) 
yeah so i don't want anybody to get hung up on like well i'm not someone who prays but i you know to really differentiate like you're but you are someone who loves and you are someone who can support and show care and that energetically by based upon the study which was super fascinating i have two of the statistics and you mentioned one more so those that receive prayer five times less pain medication was required three times higher survival rate and what was the what was the other one eva i think less antibiotic use less need for antibiotics yeah less need for medication and 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 antibiotics so and they like were released from the hospital quicker Mm, yeah that was really that was fascinating to me that that was measured in that way you know because usually it's big pharma that is like paying for paying for medical studies so the fact that this was done on like something that's free was was a very nice and uh they even made the the talk like if that were a medication if the outcomes of that study were a medication that would become the gold standard of the medication for for those situations so that was really cool so as far as organizing a support group to me it's like getting someone who's like-minded in a positive way that kind of almost like an accountability buddy for like hey let's let's look at the bright side let's look at this or you know and i don't i don't want to oversell positive psychology but you know just those like hey this is i'm i'm here i'm going to support i'm going to love you no no matter what it's difficult your your general phrases were like oh yeah yeah this sucks but we're going to get through it you know it mm-hmm. still hangs that hope in there the four and that kind of, I guess that kind of aligns to like she talks about using healing statements and I thought of it as like almost like a language of owning your confidence you know because it's the combat of the inner critic or the the inner child who has that fear of like or even building our esteem or our worth of you know the, so those uh how'd she phrase it using healing statements to me are, is equivalent to like affirmations yeah and i wonder also if that might extend to um speaking to ourselves in the third person um i think there, there's a little bit of research that has borne out borne out that um um using kind of like you statements like you're going to be okay this is going to be fine like eva you're going to get through this kind of kind of thing it sounds um it's a little bit more efficacious than referring to yourself like I'm going to be okay. Or um, it's almost like you're having to onboard because we're social creatures. I suppose we have to kind of onboard another another party, whether it's our higher our higher self, our higher power, yeah. um, a special you know person who is maybe passed over to the other side, or um, a, a saint, um, you know, dependent upon the nature, the flavor of your your spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good point. Yeah. To, to think of, I need someone to validate and normalize Mm -hmm. this experience. I need basically validation. The fifth one, this was kind of a stretch because it was meet the anesthesiologist, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, specific anxiety when I heard it, I was a little bit like, Oh, because I was flashing back to my own experience and, and I, I wanted to know who the anesthesiologist was. I, I remember that specifically, Mm-hmm. but um, I would never have been so 
bold, I don't know, bold is <laughs> an office reference, bold the right word? Um, uh, uh, I would never have been that progressive, I guess, to have, to have said, I want to meet this person and have a conversation with them. Um, mm-hmm. So that, and she mentioned in the interview that uh, oh, when she mentioned, she was talking about the anesthesiologist and the, um, oh, she was saying that, that um, uh, statistically the, the kind of the squeaky wheel patient, the patient that is, is sort of labeled as, as the problem patient, the patient that um, asked a million questions mm-hmm. are the ones that have the better outcomes because they take, they have a stake in their, in, in their progress and they want to know the information and they want to, they want to meet all the people. They want to know what's going on and that um, it makes sense because someone who is committing to, the process and taking accountability for the process and, and working for, for a best outcome would be, would have a better, would have a better experience than someone who maybe was had more like learned helplessness and like, I don't know, whatever, it's just going to yeah. be what it is and it's not going to work anyway. And, uh, mm-hmm. life just happens to me. Life just like, happens un- to me. Automatically. Yeah. I get screwed over every time. This is one more thing. Like, yeah, I see that kind of coming in to me. I saw, I, I translated meet the anesthesiologist as like, know your situation and like stepping into the trust in yourself and knowing like, yeah, I have a stake in this. And she mentioned, what she's like, we are, we are, um, consumers. We're we're consumers Mm -hmm. in that sense. We, um, and sometimes we can forget that, um, we are, it's a very similar roles as any other type of customer and the stakes should be more high. You should have a, yeah. a much more a consumer buy-in because you're paying for health or, or at least the, 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 the potentiality of, 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 a, of a healthy outcome. Uh, so another thing she had said to be very, um, you can, to, to have that assertiveness to request the things that you need um, even so much as having your person with you until the very end, even she said, if you yeah. say it enough, they'll let you do it. <laughs> so yeah. I, when, when she talked about meeting your anesthesiologist, I was like, I, I would, I, I, I tend to look at um, medical doctors and, um, and, and, and nurses, anybody in that profession is kind of reverently. I don't know why I've always been like, mm-hmm. been like that. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, who am, who am I to, to, ask this anesthesiologist to meet with me you know so for me the first thing I came up was like oh can you do that (laughs) I'm like yeah (laughs) of course yeah you could yeah yeah I'm meeting with the anesthesiologist the day before which is said is typically the standard but I thought like oh after reading this book is that the standard is to meet the day before oh I literally met mine like before my surgery he was kind of yeah he hopped in and he was like hey and I met him and I was like he seems great like I could just you know his he was very intense he was you could tell he was just very devoted he was very intelligent he's very well spoken I was like okay I'm good but Uh that's what she says in the book like that she references it like typically and in this situation I am meeting with the anesthesiologist the day before the surgery but in a in a previous one like um the standard things you meet with the anesthesiologist like you know 
maybe 30 minutes before your procedure or, you know, and yeah. And so it's kind of like, I, to me, I, I thought of that as what did I write? I wrote a couple notes down positive attitude of outcome, healing quicker. So, um, blessing the pain. Those were the things that she put, but, um, embracing grace in your, in your, in your life, how you control the process and be a part rather than, and you said, learn, learn, learn helplessness rather than the helplessness of something is being done to me. That to me generalized outside of surgery you know, cause I'll, I'll, I guess I always balance things into like, how does that help me as a clinician, as a counselor, or how, how can I translate this to the circumstances of my clients? And so to me, it was, it was very much like, oh yeah, I want them to control the process. Like I want it to be less daunting because if you feel like you have a part rather than it being something that was done to you, that's that learned helplessness. That's that thing of like, well, it's my fate and, you know, this is my, you know, these are my circumstances or this is my lot in life, you know, more general, but in, in the midst of circumstances, like we just had hell damage on the house. And it was like, of course I had no problem. Like, tell me what you're going to do. You know, what are your thoughts on this? You know, why did I not say, why do we not say that with our doctors? Like we're in a partnership, like you're going to be working on my body. Like, I have no problem. You're going to be working on my house. Like, tell me what you're going to do. Like, what's, and what, when's it going to be done? What's the outcome? What can I expect? How's it going to look? You know, all of those things. But then when it comes to our doctor, it's like, well, you're the authority. So it was very empowering to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, and doctors, they, like, like I said, I I view them as reverently. And a lot of people view Mm -hmm. them as godlike because they, they have all this training. They have all this knowledge. They literally bring people back from death (laughs) they seem very omnipotent in that way so it is it is a little bit different than talking to like your contractor um not and nothing contractors are very talented and 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 skilled craftsmen and there's there's you know they're they're very intelligent as well but um you know i'm not going to i'm not you know if they if they screw up my sighting you know it's it's fixable if you know if they if someone you know makes mm-hmm. a wrong move uh and during brain surgery this is a little different so yeah. and I think about that when I used to do psychologicals in the school district I remember like I there was one difficult situation but but it really helped me learn like oh I need to say this each time because I had I had a you know whenever you're diagnosing someone's child there's a defensiveness around that you know like sure. and I remember one parent saying you know you don't really know my child, you don't, you know, I'm, I'm very much, she was very much against the evaluation process. And it was like, well, you know, this is the door that opens up services. And all day long, I told her all day long, you are going to be the expert on your child. I'm going to be the expert on the, on the diagnostic criteria of qualifying for services or for like looking to see like, Hey, are there some criteria that, that we can meet that all day long, like, forever and ever that parent is going to be the expert on that child and that and that person eventually whenever that child gets autonomy they're going to be the experts on themselves and so you know when I applied that philosophy and doing other psychologicals like hey I'm looking I'm looking for these I'm not I'm not redefining who your child is by any means you will always be the 
the expert. And so I think about that and I think, oh yeah, that definitely, you know, empowers me to take a role in my healthcare or anything to know like, or any circumstance, like, yeah, I, I need to know, know myself and know what works for me or what fits or what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. You know, and I think about that for counseling too. Like I'll, I initially would tell my clients, like the strategies that we share, they're not strategies for me. So I need to know if it fits you as a person, are you going to be a person who meditates? If they're not, rule it out, you know? Okay. That's not a, that's not a coping strategy that's going to fit you. Will I want it to eventually assist them? And, you know, maybe we'll, we shape, shape them into coming over to that side maybe but but if not like I'm not going to keep preaching something that doesn't match their values or their personality or I thought that when I thought about like that meet that anesthesiologist it was like yeah know the situation and know yourself was super was super important about like I want to get the knowledge I want to find what resonates with me yeah, and like the roots of learned helplessness are are sort of it, it's it's can be, and this is probably an overgeneralization, but it's a it's almost a communication that you receive during your formative years that your um your needs are not worthy, and yeah, or you you your parents do not have the or your caregivers do not have the confidence in your ability to handle age appropriate developmental tasks, so mm-hmm. that relationship is never built, and yeah. you never you not never, but you, you struggle as an adult with getting your needs met in an assertive way rather than through kind of like sec, like passive means or uh, as a secondary gain of anger. So it to be resolute in your desire to meet your anesthesiologist because your body is sacrosanct and important <laughs> and... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and request making that request yeah um, that can maybe balance some of the the helplessness and the vulnerability that that you have to that you have to face going into into surgery mm-hmm. um, you, you, you know eventually you can't avoid the element of surgery that um, is going to be scary and that is that at some point you're going to have to relinquish control and trust your doctor and trust the people around you but you can also learn who those people are before yeah. you say okay I'm, I'm giving it over mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I, I mess it up <laughs> Go I, ahead. I can't remember how I where I heard this analogy but I loved it oh I think it was like Tim Mackey Dr. Tim Mackey who's a biblical theologian and and he said um when someone sees the disease in you or the thing that isn't well he he said um the difference is like someone who hates the disease you know like and so he he talked about like the the warrior's gonna hate the disease and they're gonna want to destroy they're gonna want to destroy it he said but the surgeon is someone who loves loves the body and i think of that as like the counselor or whatever like so the do you want you know someone who's gonna uh come at you with a ak-47 and just destroy the disease or do you want someone who's going to differentiate and pluck out like oh this is that thing that's not working 
like a surgeon, I'm going to go and I'm going to sculpt around that. And I'm going to, and I'm going to salvage the, the patient and I'm going to differentiate the disease from the patient. And it, it was a nice, I'm hacking it completely, <laughs> but you get the gist. Like, so someone who I'm going to differentiate you as an individual and what your struggle is. And I'm going to separate the struggle from who you are as a person. And I'm, and I'm going to focus on that because, because the struggle doesn't make you bad. You know, it doesn't make me want to destroy you or, or hate who you are because of what you're going through. Uh, And so that was just, it was very, because we do that to ourselves. I think, you know, we go through something and we think there's so much shame that we hold that it's like, oh, I have this, you know, that I struggle with or that I'm experiencing or my circumstances and that equates to bad me, you know, let me AK-47 myself uh, emotionally mm-hmm. or can I do the separation of like, let me be the surgeon and separate oh, my struggle from who I am. Like I'm somebody yeah. who who wants to be saved and wants to be healed and wants you know, wants to be healthy again. And, you know, that's the, I think that's the love of counseling is those people recognize that and they show up for that. And they innately, they might, they might not on the surface see that like, I can differentiate. I, I want the surgeon to pluck this disease out of me um, as, as opposed to seeing me as the disease and I'm going to destroy myself because of it. I think, there's a mental differentiation in ourselves for that. That's kind There's of off track. artistry to the nuance of healing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very much. So it's very cool. Well, this was a cool conversation. Thank you for taking part in it about, about this book. Cause it, it was, um, you know, as I was reading it, I was, I was like, Ooh, Eva, what do you think? <laughs> it's a very hopeful kind of philosophy and it, uh, it's very uplifting um, but also, you know, we'd mentioned it's also grounded in theory too, grounded in a lot of research, not theory research. So yeah. it was, it had kind of both sides of it and uh, kind of going, to, as we close out, going back to kind of, we talked a lot about learned helplessness during the course of this, which is a kind of an interesting byproduct, but um, some of the research I've read that activating the hope circuitry of a person's brain is effective. Um uh, uh, towards treating learned helplessness in adults. So rather than validating that was horrible what happened in the past, which it was, but also, okay, well, how do you ev- imagine a difference in the future? What, what what does it look like for you to take stake in your happiness and take that action step? 